This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. Thanks for joining us today. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents to do the same in their own lives, to seek happiness, health, engagement, and most importantly, awareness. When we're aware, we can create our own foundation of successful parenting so we can raise a legacy of love and hope for the future. Today's show is called Twice Exceptional, Supporting and Educating Bright and Creative Students with Learning Difficulties. I am very pleased to have with us today my colleague and the editor of a book with the same title that is just out. Scott Barry Kaufman. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. And thanks for your terrific contribution to the volume. Oh, that was my pleasure. I'm, I'm flattered to even be uh, to imprint with you there. And I want to tell everyone a little bit about you, a little bit more about you. Scott is an author, researcher, speaker, public science communicator who is interested in using psychological science to help all kinds of minds live a creative, fulfilling, and meaningful life. He has several books that he's authored and edited. Um, one well-known is known as Ungifted, Intelligence Refined, and another Wired to Create, Unraveling the Mysteries of the Creative Mind. Uh, his writing has appeared all over the place. The Atlantic, Scientific American, with a great article on this topic, which just came out. Psychology Today, Harvard Business Review, and he writes tons of blogs for Scientific American Beautiful Minds, and he is the host of the Psychology Podcast. All right, that's a mouthful. So, Scott, tell yes. everyone how this has become a passion of yours. Oh, boy. Well, this... This is a longtime passion uh, that I think started with my fascination as a child with individual differences and and differences in in in, in talent and intelligence. I was just you know I, w- I was in special education as a kid because of an of a, a combination of uh, anxiety issues and um, hearing auditory processing issues, and I just you know just was just very fascinated with um, what is uh, what does it take to to achieve success, how can we overcome our limitations, things like that. I didn't discover that there was a whole field uh, dedicated to studying intelligence until college, until sophomore year of college. But as soon as I found out that there was a science of this, and I just knew right away that's what I wanted to devote my life to. And not only did you find out that there was a, a science of studying intelligence, when did it also merge that one can actually be intelligent and have some sort of learning or processing difficulty or difference at the same time? I think that there are a lot, lots of threads of my research that led up to that discovery of the field of twice exceptional. I didn't. I'm a kind of a latecomer on the scene in terms of 
really discovering that specific field of twice exceptional children in in the education. In fact, my book Ungifted, uh, which is 400-something pages and I review thousands of peer-reviewed journal articles. I'm not sure if I use the phrase twice exceptional once in that entire book. But the book yet, yet, the book is just full of stories of of mm-hmm. children with – you know, from savants uh, to prodigies to to there's a whole chapter on learning disabilities in there that uh, talk traces the history of the field and sort of uh, the limitations of some of our measures we use for kids with learning disabilities. It's it's very much a book um, that is grounded in the science of twice exceptionality, even though I don't use that phrase specifically. What would you say now, having gone through um, this latest endeavor? And I'm I'm holding I'm holding the book right now, and it is a wonderful book. I mean, it is it is it has so much knowledge. And what I'll say, it's um, being in this subfield as well for some time. It's like this is a pinnacle piece of work that covers all the, the aspects that a what I would say a parent and educator need to know about finding it, about measuring it, about supporting it, about educating it. Now that you're on this side of it, how would you describe what twice exceptionality is? Because it is it's it, it can be hard to describe to people, I think. You're asking me great questions, yet I wish maybe I had to get you my podcast so I can ask you these questions <laughs> because um I I think you're you know, I really value your expertise in this area. And I, I feel like I've, I mean, I learned so much from the contributors to this volume. Uh, part of it, part of me wanting to edit this volume was selfish. And then I wanted to learn from the best in the field. Uh, I knew that others would be able to learn fr- from those individuals as well. So um, I actually just totally forgot the question you asked me because I was just <laughs> thinking, wow, it's just so weird that you're asking me questions about this when you're really a new expert <laughs> in this topic. Well, well I would. So I'm, I'm wondering what you would, because I feel part of the, the, well, hearing you speak, having heard you speak, you do an excellent job of making things really accessible from my perspective um, to the masses, really to being a communicator. And so... I find a lot of people have difficulty explaining what twice exceptionality is. And I think you have a unique experience into this world, as, as I do from my own experiences. And I'm wondering, how do, you, how do you relay what twice exceptionality is to even the people that you come across, you know, the other professionals, other educators? Um, how would you explain it? now knowing what you know in a way that you think it will stick? Because I know that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make this thing stick for people to understand. It's, a, you know, I, I, it's something I think interesting from a PR perspective is that mm-hmm. as soon as you use the word gifted, they tune out. Mm-hmm. Edu- you know, edu- mainstream educators tune out. It's the learning disability part that saves it uh, because then they feel like, oh, well, we're allowed to have compassion for people with, that have vulnerabilities. But there's this misconception that those who are labeled gifted don't have any vulnerabilities. So therefore, why should we care about them? Mm-hmm. And that is obviously a myth. Uh, but from a PR perspective, you know, if you phrase twice exceptionality and they're like, oh, what are the, what does that mean? And you're like, and, and, and you say, oh, it's gifted kids who have some difficulties. Um, if you start there, I think the educators kind of will kind of like be like, uh, okay, uh, mm-hmm. you're gifted and you have difficulties, you know, boo hoo, you're gifted. 
Now, right. now, so I, th- I think that the the field needs to evolve beyond the phrase "gifted." the The G word really is loaded. It really, mm-hmm. it automatic. We're not doing ourselves any favors by by giving people. You know, words matter. We can't just like present a word and like say, "Oh, they just don't understand." I mean, we have to take responsibility for the fact that this word is loaded. It's like you know, the word "grit" is really popular in education right now. That word sticks mm-hmm. in a good, in a positive way. Gifted will never stick in education in a positive way. I'm not even sure twice exceptional will stick. I'm not even sure that's the best mm-hmm. label label for it. But I think that when we're talking to educators, we need to not get so hung up on the label, uh, but talk about the uh, immense possibilities of all students in that school for creative and intellectual um, uh, performance and self-actualization. I'm more, much more interested in self-actualization than performance. And when mm-hmm. you talk to talk to teachers about the immense potentials, potentialities, you can say, look, these potentialities exist in the special education classroom. They exist in the gift education. They, they exist in the mainstream classroom. You know, let's take all the tools we have from psychology um, and everything we know about uh, uh, the support structures, the role of the support structures from teachers and educators to kind of bring out the best in each student. I think every student should have an IEP. There is no reason why uh, not, other than resources and um, and 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 a dedicated team. You know that it, it, you know it's a lot. It's a lot of uh, processing from an administrative mm-hmm. view to do that. But I see no reason why it's not a good idea. Hmm. And and this makes me think of your own theory of intelligence, which you've been working on for a while. And as I hear you talk. You know, it isn't about the labels, and what we've always said is um, best practices for gifted and twice exceptional, because those are the only labels we have so far, um, is best practices for all students. And so you have an idea about how intelligence should be defined, um, and I use the word measured very loosely. Tell us about that. Well, you know, there's a big history of weighting intelligence with your 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 measured ability on an IQ test. Now, IQ tests have lots of different subscales, and you can glean some important information about cognitive processing from those IQ tests and a pattern of uh, you know a child's unique pattern of strengths and weaknesses. And there are some really um, good models to really get at that. Uh, but I, th- I see intelligence as, as something that's broader than cognitive processing ability. I think it's such a narrow way of looking at human potential. So when you think about intelligence, I think that we need to uh, not divorce the engagement or motivational aspects from it, the passions, the uh, the dreams, the future goals, the the personal goals of the individual. So I defined intelligence as the dynamic interplay of ability and engagement in the pursuit of personal goals. It's a very mouthful. I know it's a mouthful mm-hmm. of a definition. It's not as uh, uh, neat as IQ, you know, uh, but it does, I think, capture more of the whole person, more of the whole child and, and the fact that that each of us are not isolated parts. We're actually a dynamic system of personality, cognitive and motivational processes interacting with support structures. And unless we understand that whole system, um, we can't just look at one aspect of the system. And if that's not functioning well, just conclude that the whole system is broke. I really like that 
phrase, what I uh, scribbled out in my dysgraphic handwriting is ability and engagement in the pursuit of goals. Right? That's what yeah, that's right. And what I what I right. what I really like about that in reflecting on my own work with these people day in and day out is you have ability, um, which these what these kids present with, and then you have the critical factor of engagement, because we know that these kids are not ex- generally ex- and not externally or extrinsically motivated, and if so, not for long. It all comes from their um, intrinsic goals and. Um, their passion right. and you're talking about in the pursuit of of their goals i'm thinking about uh one of my teenagers right now who might spend you know begrudgingly five minutes um on math homework but will spend five hours on his graphic design uh project that he's working <laughs> on right and so yeah how how can this be put into practice this con- so like you know as an, a, t- a parent as an educator how do you put looking at ability engagement and pursuit of goals how do we help these kids thrive well a lot of it does come down to recognizing that there are intrinsic goals there are also extrinsic goals uh, but the intrinsic goals that a child has may not always dovetail with the extrinsic goals of educators or of you as a teacher and we have really not come to terms with that fact, I think, in our mm-hmm. education system. We have not we haven't truly come to terms with that fact. There are uh, some characteristics of creative adults that are not conducive to doing well in school. Mm-hmm. And yet we, we, we use like your ability to conform and – and go up a standardized set of hoops in school as the metric for whether or not you're going to succeed in life. And I think we just have to really break out of that way of thinking. And I'm really all about self-actualization. I'm about not ha- t- achievement or, or having the students compete with each other, but sort of figuring out, you know, what potentialities are yearning for expression in every child. I think every child has uh, has higher potentialities that are not being recognized, and 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 helping them and supporting them in their own path, their own unique path. But but again, really truly recognizing that every child has their own unique path is uh, would would be a radical overhaul of education. I think. Yes, and for all the parents out there listening just for us to be able to focus on that and nurture that in the face of some of the daily academic responsibilities, obligations, and struggles, and not to lose sight, that just because our kids have to do this stuff, that we really need to keep our eye on the self-actualization and engagement ball. Absolutely. You said it very well. Thank you. You um, you talk about the four C's, and... That has a lot to do with um, manifesting potential, yes? Yeah, what do you think of the 4C model? Well, I'll tell everyone what, I'm, what we're talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, again, I, I, so let me tell, let's tell everyone what it is. We're talking about capacity, competence, commitment, and creativity. I think these are all relevant words. And I know um, 
Sternberg, and I don't know, like, he's ha- come up with some of his own ideas of intelligence based on his own, um, Dr. Sternberg, from his own experiences as well, which a lot of that stuff resonates with me because you need all of these things, all of these attributes to create something and be something and to be engaged, right? I mean, yeah. like, when, chi- yeah. when we think, talk about Chicksamahai's totally. idea of flow, you you need all of those to get this 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 state of flow. So I like it. So tell us tell us about it and what what this means to you. Yeah. Well, the first distinction I thought was relevant is between capacity and competence. A lot of students can be very competent in reaching their goals and even in reaching the goals of the educators even though they don't score particularly well on tests of potential or tests of uh, so-called capacity. It, I think we need to kind of get over this seeming paradox that you, one cannot exceed what we have predicted they are capable of exceeding. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that's something we need to kind of get over as educators because there are far too many uh, cases. It's almost becoming the, more the rule than the exception of individuals uh, – far surpassing what we would expect, our expectations of them based on very limited data. So that's that's why I think that distinction was worth making. Um, but mm-hmm. vice versa, vice versa, you have, they call them gifted underachievers is what they call them in the field. Uh, and I hate that phrase. But um, they that's uh, of the opposite case where those score very high on measures of capacity, but don't seem to have the competence. And then everyone in the field wonders, well, what's going on there? They, they, they're underachieving. But I don't think that this underachieving, overachieving model is doing any of the kids any favors. Uh, it's not, doesn't feel particularly good to be in gifted and talented education and being told you're an underachiever. Um, and also if your right. competence is very high and you didn't qualify for gifted and talented education, it's not fair in my opinion or just to tell that child that they're they're really over overachieving. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's right. just it's just from a regression model point of view, you're either uh, have have you're un, you're under you have an underdetermined model or you have an overfitted model, a uh, statistical mm-hmm. model. You know, it, it, there's no such thing. As you know, underachieving or overachieving. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so that's yeah, just the first yeah. two, and then you can have amazing commitment or passion for something, in particular, and uh, and that's a separate category. Uh, you know, the passion uh, comes into play there. You know, skill can be separate from passion, but like I said, when they're united, there's a great dynamic interplay that kind of plays off each other. Where each uh, increases as the as the other one increases, or one decreases as the other decreases as well, and then you know, creativity, where which is putting those commitments and skills to good use. Uh, now I don't I shouldn't say good use, but um, to a creative use to create put something mm-hmm. new into the world that hasn't existed before that is novel and valuable to people. So that's the four C model in a nutshell. So how. Do parents and educators and or cultivate this, right? How how can we how can we spread this book. word? Yeah, yeah, read the book exactly. <laughs> Have you the we're gonna, we're working on the audible version right now. Read the book. Um, as someone who's been you both as a student on the one side and an educator on the other, 
And I know I'm probably asking the same question to you in different ways, like throughout this this uh, talk here. Well, that's but okay. you, we, we can't hear it enough. Like, how? What do you think we can do as parents and educators to maximize the development and growth of these twice exceptional kids? Hmm. There are two aspects of of the of the issue. One is identification, and the other is. Uh, is proper targeted services for what we've identified. Now, too many schools spend most of their money on the identification that they never actually get to the other stage. They mm-hmm. just, you know, let's not forget that the point of identification is to find the best intervention for that child, that individual child. It's not to just identify. It's not just to say, oh, you're twice mm-hmm. exceptional and stick all twice exceptional kids in the same room. So, it takes, you know, a team, as some people in my book have have pointed out. Um, yeah, it, it takes a it takes a par- concerned parents to discover what are their child's proclivities, passions at home, and communicating that to the teachers. The teachers communicating to the parents um, what the assessments are saying about that child's unique pattern of strengths and weaknesses on these tests of uh, cognitive assessment. But also in with their friends and peers, you know what it really lights them up. What really mm-hmm. uh, is going on there? What and then going beyond cognitive? Uh, yeah, so we're really going beyond cognitive assessment to you know, like I said, the commitments where the child's what what is the child going to be committed to to really pursuing mm-hmm. in a creative fashion? And a lot of that you know requires discussion with the student. You know, in in the gift and talented classroom or special education classroom or or even mainstream classroom. We can spend more time with structured interviews uh, of the children, and, I, and uh, there there's some good models out there of that. But we don't really do enough of that. I'm looking at all these words here, um, these f- concepts that you've put out here, and I think th- they are wonderful um, building blocks or foundations for what we're talking about with supporting these kids. So we've talked about the ability and engagement in the pursuit of goals. So looking at a child's ability, their engagement, and actually asking what their goals are because we know that's going to fuel their behavior. And then when we think about what is their capacity, where are they showing competence, where is their commitment, and then how do we foster their creativity to look outside the box, to push things, to f- growth for themselves and growth for others? And the other thing that you just said, which I love because that's why this book is, has so much information in it, this is not a one-chapter book because it really is a – it takes a team to look at a complex child in a complex way and put together a plan that nurtures their growth across the cognitive, social, and emotional spectrums. Um, look, uh, you know, some of this is is definitely personal. Um, you know, when I was, uh, I, I even just recently was looking through all the IEPs and psychological evaluations of me as like a three year old, you know, a four year old, mm-hmm. five year old. Yeah. We really, we really, a big part of my push is also to appreciate kids that are bursting with creative potential. Now, look, someone mm-hmm. would, is obviously going to reply to that and say, well, aren't all kids creative? And it's that, you know, that's going to be the, uh, yes, we are all, <laughs> yes, of course, we, yeah. there's a spontaneity. There's this um, yes. 
excitement and wonder in the world that we all have, are born with because it, evolution had to endow that but so that we'd learn. You know, like, you know, when we get old, older or become adults, some of us just – uh, figure like we've learned all we really care about and that wonder goes away. And we should never lose that freshness of appreciation. So all kids have that. But but I, I do think there are individual differences. So mm-hmm. I think that there are like kids that uh, really kind of are born into this world uh, with their brain wired in a in a way that they just don't see normal – boundaries and they're not they're not as interested in conforming in fact conforming is allergic they're allergic to to conforming <laughs> yeah. um i think i was one of those kids and i think that was not rewarded uh when i read my heart my heart broke for my three-year-old self when i read these mm-hmm. ieps and made me just firmed up my values and purpose to help um a lot of kids that are falling between the cracks because they really you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna be artists. They're gonna be the the comedians. They're gonna be the um, they're gonna be the inventors, uh, scientists, and they are con- they're just questioners. They're um, they don't mm-hmm. accept they don't accept the curriculum at face value. And um, you know, when I read a lot of these sort of evaluations, like Scott is immature. He needs to learn how to um, stop being like the class clown. Stop making other kids laugh so much. Uh, uh, he needs to – he's impulsive, um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, these are characteristics mm-hmm. that people like laud now you know, in my writing and things. And right. I just think it's just interesting. So much of it is contextual about how you feel about yourself. Like if you're in an environment where everyone is framing who you are as a deficit, that's really going to damage your mm-hmm. self-esteem. But if you find the niche where it becomes creative, then it completely changes what you think you're capable of. Does this make sense? Totally, totally. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's a good, it's a good segue to the more sharing question, our parent footprint moment question. Oh, we're already um, at that moment. Okay. Yeah, we're already at that moment. I've been waiting moment. all my life like for this moment. Fl- <laughs> 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 well, you're here. You're here. It's here. Okay, yeah. so the moment, the parent footprint moment where you became aware okay. of something about your parents as a as a parent or as an individual and that awareness of that parent or parents had a positive impact on your life and upbringing it's such a, uh, a complicated question for me because i for many years resented what i thought was overprotection by my mom uh which mm-hmm. was uh intrusion, um, not letting me fully be who I am, et cetera, et cetera. But I've had a, a bit of a, a, a reconceptualization of, of that as I was going through these things and seeing just how much my parents, you know, especially my mom, fought, fought for me to get the resources I needed to thrive that really mm. just, just didn't take shit from anyone yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my especially my mom she's not suffer fools gladly mm-hmm. um and just fought you know when the when the resource room in in was going to be discontinued she moved me to a private school for kids with learning disabilities um and a, a special school and then and then just all along the way just just believed in me uh believed mm-hmm. in my cre- my creativity and saying wrote notes like you know my son really um is is just really really creative 
and you know he loves creative writing you know i did you know and just kind of advocating for that and uh you know i just really appreciative of that now as an adult you know that's really that's really important for everyone to hear out there because people who are listening to this you know there are um parents of these very important special creative people and uh i sit with them daily and the message here from Scott is to keep advocating and keep fighting for your kids and keep letting them know and letting the world know who they really are outside the bounds of the metrics that they're being judged by in the classroom. Yes. Beautiful. Thanks for the work you're doing, man. Oh, my pleasure. It's this is this is what makes it so uh this is what makes it so valuable and rewarding. Yeah. So Scott Thank you. You are, you're creative, you're creating, and I know you're going to continue to create. And so please tell everyone, um, I know you are following your passion and your mission, and where can everyone continue to follow your work as you continue to explore and to push the needle um, as things unfold? Thanks for asking. Just, you know, if interest, readers are interested in following up on some of my work or uh, the free resources I put on my website, it's, they can just go to scottbarrykaufman.com. So my name.com and I put everything on there. You guys check it out. It um, I have spent a lot of time on there. There's wonderful resources. Um, and uh, Scott has a lot more to teach us. Uh, thanks, Dan. Scott. Thanks so much for joining us today and uh i continue to wish you well and i will look forward to doing this sometime again with you thank you all right everyone that wraps up another awesome parent footprint podcast with an amazing guest scott barry kaufman heed his words support your child look at their creative capacity their engagement ask them what their goals are help them actualize and continue to be aware in your own parenting journey, parent with purpose and intention, and do your very best to be the person you want them to become. And always ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? <laughs>